0: Hey, this morning, church, we're, we're excited because uh, this morning's Palm Sunday, which uh, is actually on the church calendar, a day that we uh, dedicate to the time uh, a week before the, the, the death and burial resurrection of Jesus, where Jesus entered into Jerusalem, and that, that happens about a week before Easter. So we're gearing up uh, before Easter next week, and we're really excited about uh, just seeing what God does next week as we just celebrate his resurrection and just a time where, where many people uh, gather together. And kind of reflect on what what God's done in our lives. But this morning, uh, on Palm Sunday, um, we're going to be diving into the scriptures. And I'm really excited this morning. In fact, uh, in our prayer service, which is just kind of a, really just like, I have 15 minutes to kind of share kind of the the heart of the message. um, Like, I was like... Man, I got like pit stains already going on. You know what I mean? It was just like one of those mornings where I'm like, man, God's doing something. So this morning as we dive into the scripture, we're going to be diving into 1 Genesis chapter 21 if you want to turn there. But I just believe that God has something really specific today, that God wants to move in our hearts, that maybe God wants to kind of release some things that have been kind of uh, bogging us down in our lives this morning. So I just, I just pray, my prayer this morning is that we would just kind of be open to maybe what God would want to speak and do this morning as we kind of reflect on him. And uh, the title of this morning's message is titled "This Eternal Days," and I like this title because it's kind of almost like two conflicting words a little bit, like almost like an oxymoron, right? That uh, eternal represents something that does not submit to the scale of time, right? And then we have days, which really becomes kind of a measurement of time in of itself, right? Um, And this morning, as we talk about these kind of two conflicting words, that's kind of the heart of what I want to get at is talk about on a practical level, how do we spend our time this morning? How do we spend our days? What do we do? How do we prioritize? And here's what I know about time is a great definition of just understanding time. It's, It's a measurement of moments, right? It's the fact that from this moment to this moment. There was time that existed in between. There's moments by moments that we get to experience, and this is something that is not greater than God himself, but God as an eternal God that does not submit to time, we have to understand that God is greater than time itself. That time and that system of time we submit to, come on, is a creation of God. Time is not greater than God, but rather time submits under the God of the universe. And for us on a human scale and from a human perspective, our brains, it's like one of those ideas we start talking about, and our brain almost feels like it needs to explode, right? But here's what I know this morning. A lot can happen in a short amount of time, right? I think about this on Palm Sunday. We're celebrating uh, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, that was prophesied about in the in the Old Testament, right? In the old parts of the Bible, that, that the Messiah would come in a very humble fashion. And rather than riding a horse, which represented war, he rode on a donkey. He rode on a colt that represented humility. But I love it because the people shouted as Jesus kind of enf- entered in and expected this Messiah to show up in, in this specific way and honored him and said, Hey, this is this is our Savior. He's our Messiah. They shouted a word Hosanna, which in the Hebrew means God, your Savior. But it's interesting, within a week, this is how fickle we are as human beings, right? Within a week, the same people were yelling as he hung on a cross to crucify him, right? To kill him, to murder him. So time, here's what we understand about time in our day and age is that we can acknowledge God, we can have a perspective about God, but that perspective can so easily and quickly become tainted. And my heart this morning is that we would understand and we would reflect on how we spend our time, how we spend our days in light of how great and how grand God is. Time is such an interesting topic, um, and we get fascinated by these ideas, right? I get fascinated when I watch a movie about time travel, right? I get fascinated when I watch Terminator, And I realized that the time travel that exists in that movie, if you've ever seen this series, doesn't make any sense whatsoever, right? I love movies that talk about time travel. One of my favorite movies of all time, I think this was one of our, like, questions we did during our our greet time, is one of my favorite movies is Back to the Future, right? Time travel. In fact... uh, Michael Wynn drove a DeLorean to church, like, a couple weeks ago, and it absolutely blew my mind. Like, he even had, like, the hat from Back to the Future 2 um, and pulled up. I was just like, what in the world? Like, this is, like, I'm geeking out right now. You know what I'm saying? I like, this is so cool, like, the doors that went up, you know. I'm like, can it really time travel? No. Um, anyway, uh, so time travel, once again, like, there's so many movies. Like, we're just fascinated by this whole idea of time. Um, but once again, here, here's, what I under- here's what we need to understand is God is greater than time. That it's a creation of Him. And when we start understanding and, and understanding that this thing that we submit to in a measurement of moments that we submit to, we start kind of able to reflect on the greatness and the grandness of God. In fact, He has no beginning and no end. I love it. The Bible calls Jesus, God's Son, who died on the cross for us, conquered death. He calls Him the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, right? I love these titles that the the, the scripture uses to describe the God of the Bible, right? In fact, there's a title in the Hebrew called El Olam, which translates to in English, everlasting God. Eternal God. And that, that title in itself, El Olam, is used over 400 times in the Bible. This title that we give to God to understand his grandness. So this morning as we begin, and we're going to reflect on some ways that we can spend our time, I want to, I want to look at the story of when this title was first used, the inception of this story in, in Genesis chapter 21. And we're looking at two characters in the Bible this morning as we, as we kick this off, characters by the name of Abraham and Abimelech. Now Abraham was somebody that God chose, God saw, and promised, Hey, if you're faithful to me, I'm going to get into an agreement with you, and through you, if you agree to this, I'm going to allow all of, all of your descendants to be blessing to the entire world. So in the early pages of the Bible, we see this man where God kind of handpicks him and says, I'm going to bless you, but it's going to take faith, right? And as we know, Abraham was decently successful at being a man of faith because we read later on in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Hebrews, there's a chapter dedicated to, like, the, the faith hall of fame, and Abraham is one of the guys listed. But it's amazing because you read through Genesis, you read through the struggle that exists when it comes to faith. In fact, God promised them to have descendants, and there was this faith struggle we read in the book of Genesis where Abraham and his wife Sarah struggled with having kids for a very, very long time. So in the middle of this kind of like faith journey, God calls Abraham to this new land, to this new place where he would be a foreigner, and he meets this king named Abimelech. And in the struggle of this, Abraham is concerned about his wife, concerned that he's an easy target, concerned about this foreign land that he's gone into and that people during this time, there's a hostile culture of what are are these people, as I'm a foreigner, going to do to me and my wife? So he ends up lying and telling the king, actually, this is my sister. So like, hey, if you actually want to take this woman as your wife, like if it it helps us kind of progress, if it helps us move forward where what God wants to do moves forward, then I'm willing to make sure that we're not kind of in this place where it's like all eyes on me. And it's interesting because then God speaks to this king and lets him know the truth. Like, Abimelech finds out, like, hey, this guy, that guy told you, like, that's, that's his sister. Actually, that's his wife. So Abimelech's like, what? First off, he's like, there's a God who's actually communicating to me verbally. So he's like, stop everything. I need to get my life in order, and I need to actually confront Abraham and kind of allow him to know like, hey, your God actually spoke audibly to me. So we see this kind of situation between uh, this man Abraham, this man of faith, who's trying to journey and, and really just understand that God's leading him to a place of faithfulness. And we have this king who has influence in this kind of foreign land. So we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 21, and we're going to see and understand um, what perspectives are kind of there and where this name Uh, eternal God kind of first exists so let's look at Genesis chapter 21 really quick starting with verse 22 it says at that time Abimelech and Phicol the commander of his forces said to Abraham God is with you in everything you do now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants show to me in the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I've shown to you Abraham said I swear it Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought a sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech. And the two made a treaty, which was custom during this day. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord. Here it is, the eternal God. First time that title is mentioned in the scriptures. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Let's pray really quick this morning. Lord God, we just come before you so thankful that your word is power. God, these aren't just words on a page, but these are words that pierce our hearts, transform our lives. So, Lord, would we be open to transformation today? Lord, I'm so thankful that you are not a God of judgment or condemnation, but, Lord, you are a God who desires for us to grow and to progress. And, Lord, we're just so thankful that, Lord, perfection's not up to us, but, Lord, you have already dealt with with it by being the perfect sacrifice for us. So Lord, today as we reflect on how grand you are, Lord God, would it inform us, would it change us, would it lead us maybe on a new trajectory, would it lead us to change or make decisions in our lives or adjustments, Lord God, so that we can be all that you've called us to be. Lord, as human beings, we want to flourish and Lord, we know that you have the direction and the equation for us to do just that. Lord, we want to be in tune with your purposes and transformed today, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. So here's what I know. It's interesting because we have these two characters, Abraham and Abimelech, and Abimelech was this guy who was a king during this time. He had so much influence. He had so much power, right? In his own right, he could have thought he was amazing, right? He had all the power that he needed, but he met his match in the Lord, right? God communicated to him audibly and showed him, hey, you think you have power in your human authority position, but I am greater. And I love this, the, the, the beautiful illustration that this shows is that Abraham, being faithful to a God in his life, encounters another person of power and influence who realizes, hey, I can have gods in my own life, but there's a God who Abraham follows who is greater, who is better, who is more powerful. But I want to zoom in a little bit on the culture of this tree that it says that Abraham planted. There was this oath that they made, and there there was a requirement for them to kind of keep their end of the bargain. But how many of you guys know when treaties are made, when oaths are made, sometimes people don't keep their end of the bargain, so it's interesting that the text says that Abraham plants this tree, a tamarisk tree, which is also known today, what is, was known as a salt cedar. And a salt cedar tree is really interesting because it's, it's a tree that really just kind of expands and multiplies without even trying, right? In fact, the salt cedar, it takes up 1 million acres of the west. It grows 9 to 12 feet in a single season. It survives drought by dropping leaves. It can survive flooding for up to 70 days. It has a constant availability of seeds, 500,000 seeds per plant, And it's known for taking over and displacing native plants. So this thing, like, it can't die. It multiplies. It can sustain through the most harshest conditions. And I love it because what Abraham's reflecting, he's reflecting on this moment and saying, this is a human treaty that we're making. But I'm going to plant this tree to reflect on a time in my life of understanding, even though we made this oath, I know that God will never fail on his end of the bargain. I know that I'm planting something that I know will never die or will multiply. It goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And it reflects on the fact that then he calls on the name of this God and gives him this title, eternal God. A God who is bigger. A God whose character cannot be tainted because he is eternal. That is who he is. And that never changes. I love this. Because it shows this oath before God would always survive because God will always keep his end of the bargain. Eternal God, God being faithful each and every moment in time. So, this morning we're going to look at a few things and get really practical. That, in light of this God, once again, how should we spend each moment in time? Because so easily for us, we can have a perspective or a spirituality towards God that can change so easily, that can be tainted so easily, that can change from God, you did something in my life. God, I acknowledge you as creator, God, I acknowledge you as savior, maybe. As the people cried out on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, and it can so easily change where we have a different perspective, where we turn our backs on God. And it's kind of like this morning, how do we get there? And what are ways that we can allow our perspective to be changed in understanding how big God is? So the first thing I want to look at this morning, if you're taking notes, in light of our eternal God, how should we live each moment in time? I believe this, we need to live, not, not live a day without death in mind. Not live a day without death in mind. Death becomes a very sobering topic for us to think about sometimes because we we sometimes avoid it. And understanding that one day we will eventually die. One day we will essentially cease to exist in these bodies. And there's so many different perspectives and belief systems on this idea. But we we can't run away from the fact that death is inevitable. Death is a part of life. Death is a part of humanity. This is a life cycle. This is an understanding that we have to submit to the idea that death, death is a problem. Death creates an issue in terms of an eternal perspective, right? And I love what Psalm says. There's a few verses in Psalm 90. And Psalm 90 just does a great job of just kind of illustrating some of these ideas, right? Psalm 94 says, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. The psalmist goes on and says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 If our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Psalm ninety twelve. teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Death is inevitable. Death happens to everybody. Whether you like it or not, you submit to this system and this reality of death as a human being, right? And I often think about, what man, like, what, what's death going to be like? What does that look like? What, what you know, what are people experiencing? You know, you have uh, even stories of people that have passed on and then came back to life, and it's just like, whoa, like, we're just, like, fascinated by all these different things. But I often think about, like, the priorities and the sobering reality of death, because sometimes it's so easy to kind of shove this reality off in a box somewhere in our minds and say, hey, you know, like, one day or whatever. But this morning, we have to, we have to come to terms that, that death, death happens, Right? So I often think about it, actually in the past few years, it's been insane because there's been some of the worst airliner crashes um, that have ever existed in history. In fact, a couple here, I, I was looking this up, Malaysia Airlines, that happened July 17, 2014, 298 people passed away it's in the past few years, eight years, eighth worst ever in terms of an, an airliner crashing. Malaysia Airlines in, in March 8th, 2014, 19th worst, there was 239. The most recent, big one, was October 31st, 2015, the Metrojet in the Sinai Peninsula, the 27th worst, over 224 people passed. And I often think about, like, the horror, you guys, of, can you imagine if you were riding on a plane and something happened, and something went wrong, and the priorities of life just begin to shift in that moment, Right? Because you as a passenger on this plane, if something's wrong, if turbulence, if the plane is taking a nosedive, you know that there are just seconds left in your life. Everything else begins to not, perspective changes, priority changes. It's so interesting because in that moment, the sobering reality of death, we know it's inevitable. Within the next few seconds, we have to face the reality of death. We don't want to think about this, but can you imagine for a second that you're a passenger on a plane, and you have to come to terms with death is about to happen? How does your perspective change? How do you change? And really, inevitably, if that moment is in front of you, who do you cry out to? What do you cry out to? See, in this life, sometimes we get so numbed about all these different things and all these different pleasures, but it's so interesting to me because in that moment, as the plane's going down, if you were a passenger, do you cry out, oh, praise you, alcohol, alcohol and drugs, I need you, I need you. These things that I've just kind of depended on, used my time and prioritized in my life, oh, I need you. Money, almighty dollar, help me. The plane's going down. Political affiliation and legislation, I need you. Nobody would do that. In that moment where death is right in front of your face, come on, somebody, you know who you cry out to? You cry out to a higher power. You cry out to whatever faith that you have, understanding that death is inevitable. But here's what I love about Jesus. Here's what I love about the one who gave us good news. The death issue he dealt with. The death issue that brings so much fear in our society. The death issue that we don't have an answer for. How do you conquer death? All of humanity didn't deal with the death issue. There was this man who was born of a virgin. Come on, somebody. And his father is a God who exists. The creator, eternal God, to send his son to die and deal with the death issue once for all. Do we live with the sobering reality of understanding that when we actually have death in mind, it changes the way we prioritize our lives. It changes the way that we think about life because we understand that, man, my time's limited on this earth. Death is a reality. What's the answer? What's the solution to that? And I love it because Jesus gives us a way out. Not something we can earn, but something he's done for us and just says, hey, I've dealt with the reality of death. Now receive it. Don't receive it by trying to like become holy, dressing the right way, doing the right things. Talked about a little bit a couple weeks ago, hand sanitizer Christians, dousing ourselves up, making ourselves look good. No, he looks upon us and says, accept and receive the free gift that I offer. I've done it for you. I am perfection in the flesh. Fully God, fully man, Jesus came to deal with that very problem that instills so much fear within us, that deals with the question of the cosmos that so many of us, we don't have an answer for us when we put our heads down at night not knowing if there will be another day, but Jesus has dealt with this very issue. And here's what I know. One of the scriptures we read in Psalms alluded to this. Wisdom doesn't come from old age. Wisdom comes from numbering our days and taking advantage of them. Taking advantage, having a perspective of understanding. My time's limited, so I want to take that And I want to take advantage of it. And I want to live a life that's filled with purpose and hope. And I want to push people in that same direction. I want to push people away from the hopelessness. I want to push people away from the ideas that sometimes instill so much fear within us because of the reality of death. And I want to push people towards an eternal reality. Towards a God who is greater than many of the questions we create in our minds. Many of the systems we build up to that instill fear within us in our human capacity. There's a God who's greater, who desires our lives to flourish in a direction towards purpose and hope, to inform areas of our lives where things that we thought, doesn't that mean that much? But we understand that in the scheme of God, man, the way that he's created us specifically, the way he's designed us, our lives have so much more purpose and hope than we ever could have dreamed or imagined. Amen? Every day matters. Every day matters. So this morning I just want us to kind of reflect on this question. How are you going to live each day with the eternal God in mind, with the one who is greater, with the one who has dealt with the issue of death? How does that maybe shift the priorities of your life? Some of the things where when push comes to shove, the things that maybe you've been prioritizing, does that actually affect you in the moments that count the most where we ask life's deepest questions? Is God, the eternal God, the priority in our lives? I think that's a great question to reflect on and ask. Next thing I want us to look at is to be be people that not live a day without prayer in mind. Not live a day without prayer in mind. Um, as people, uh, as humans, uh, we need relationship. In fact, we desire it. Uh, loneliness becomes one of the biggest kind of heartaches and issues sometimes with our culture because deep within us we desire community. In fact, God represented community as as, as the God who is three persons, one God, the God of the Bible, right? Father, Son, Spirit. I love that. In God's very nature, He is community. So we desire community because that exists in God's very nature. The God of the Bible, what He reflects. He isn't solo, but He represents Father, Son, Spirit. One God, three persons. I love that in His very nature, there's this depth within our souls that we know, that we long for, to have relationship with other people. But Here's what I know. Relationship requires conversation. Relationship requires Communication. And sometimes for us, we've, we've placed with the perspective of the eternal God, like this kind of like dualistic nature of like, okay, like I'm here and like God is there. But those ideas don't merge. Like there's this God who like doesn't kind of interact with humanity or is like really distant. But I love it. The eternal God of the Bible that we read about, actually he desires relationship with you. And one of the greatest witnesses to that very fact is that we have the ability to pray prayer, something we like over-spiritualize so much, but really, what is prayer? It's communion with God, communication with God, and God offers himself to be not a grand, distant God with a frown who lives, you know, on the clouds with a big toga, it's just like, humanity, it's like, no, wait a second, like, this is a God who, like, personally wants to get to know you, not your family, like, we sometimes generalize this, we're like, yeah, well, like, my family, like, we went to church, like, I say it time and time again, like, you got to investigate your own faith, like, if you grew up in a Christian household, that's great, but you got to, like, come to terms with your maker at some point. Like, you've got to figure out what you understand. you got to understand who God is for you because, like, nobody's, like, handing their, like, free ticket to be like, hey, like, your faith is mine. It's like, no, wait a second. Like, you got to come to terms with your own faith. But one of the beautiful things about that is God gives us an opportunity not to be distant, but he's constantly pursuing us. He's always keeping his end of the bargain. Just like that tree that Abraham planted. Come on, somebody. He knew God's character, that God was always the faithful one. But sometimes we choose to not even engage with God who's like, hey, I'm over here. Hey, like, earth to you. Like, you, maybe you acknowledge me in a previous season of your life. Like, maybe you acknowledge the fact that, yeah, there's got to be a God. But he's like, hey, like, you've kind of grown callous as the days have gone on. And you kind of shut me out. But he's like, hey, I'm here for you. I'm ready to be your God and for myself to be in relationship with you, God always keeps his end of the bargain. I love Isaiah chapter 46. A few verses in there that reflect on the goodness of God and, and the fact that God is so good to us in the way that, that he sustains and, and desires relationship. It says in Isaiah chapter 46, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Like God's like, hey, this is me. Like Whether you like it or not, whether you like, want to acknowledge me or not, like this is who I am. I'm, I'm, I sustain the universe. I sustain you. This is me keeping my end of the bargain. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 29. Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God? There it is, that title El Olam, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power to the weak. But as people who desire relationship we have to get into relationship with god right i love the gospels because what we see is jesus confronts the things that jesus rebukes like people are like today are like well if i do a b and c like i'm afraid the church is gonna like rebuke me you know how that's not god's posture whatsoever throughout the gospels you know who jesus is actually confronting time and time again religious people People that are abusing the fact that they have opportunity to have relationship with the God of the universe, and they make it religious, and they create distance where it's like they don't even have a sustaining relationship or understand that God wants to be in relationship, and they turn it into a system that becomes religious. But Jesus confronts it because he's like, you've abused this, and I'm here, and I need relationship. And you, people are just going and basing your life and your faith on religious systems. And Jesus confronts that because, like, he's like, you're missing the point. I've come to show you that I desire to have relationship with you. And not only you, specific people of Israel, you will be used as a tool to spread out so that everyone can understand that I'm a God who pursues each and every human being, my creation. He desires relationship with us. This is why we should pray, and this is why we should pray big. We're a church that believes in a God of miracles. Come on, somebody. We sing it during worship, and I love proclaiming that because here's the deal. Sickness is not greater than God, right? So sometimes I'll pray when somebody's sick or I'll believe when somebody has an ailment that the God of the universe would heal that person. I swing the bat. I swing hard sometimes in believing and understanding the God that I've seen be miraculous in my life will do it again, right? But here's what I know. I love it because when we talk about everlasting God, when we talk about eternal God, we get to zoom out into kind of a bigger perspective that we need to swing the bat. And that's a, disengagement, like, that, that becomes a big issue for us in, in terms of relationship because we're just kind of like, well, I got all these, like, faith barriers about what I think about God. Like, does he heal? Does he not? And God's like, swing the bat! But here's the deal. When you swing the bat, sometimes God will not heal in that specific situation. And that's where we need to understand and submit to the fact that God is eternal. And guess what? When that person, if that ailment doesn't go away, that there's a purpose in mind. And guess what? Even if that person were to pass and die, God has defeated death. Momentary healing in this lifetime does not witness the fact of God as great as the fact that when you die, he gives you eternal life because he's dealt with death. But in the meantime, when I have breath, when I have power, when I have passion about my God who's greater than time, who is eternal God, and somebody has sickness, you better believe my faith. I'm going to lay hands and believe that God maybe would intercept into the realities of earth, and that person would become healed. But here's what I know. My faith's big enough to understand if in that circumstance... Maybe there's a greater purpose because God uses different ways to get people's attention and sometimes our human comprehension in the same way we don't understand eternity because we submit to a system of time, we don't understand heavenly perspective, the sovereignty of God, the greatness of God and how he takes horrible situations and figures out ways to use it for his glory, his advantage, reaching his people. That's how desperately God wants each and every one of us. He takes the things that are not the way that they're supposed to be on this earth, and he allows them to be ammo for his glory, his purpose, and his realities. God is so good to us. It's really interesting. Uh, Motor Company Ford uh, developed a suit called the uh, Third Age Suit. Anybody ever heard of this, the Third Age Suit? So basically it's like a suit that they, like, test for cars, where it literally makes a person, they, like, have guys that are, like, 30 to 45 wear it, and it makes you feel like you're, like, 104 years old. Basically, it, like, mimics the idea like, the, like, pain in your joints, right? Like, if you were 104 years old, like, this is kind of what, like, they did their best, like, research to figure out. If you put on this suit, this is what it would feel like, right? Super stiff, additional material around the waist, knees, elbows, ankles, and wrists. It hurts to move your joints. And The reason they do this? Because they want to make sure that your car is comfortable. They want to make sure that no matter what age you are, that the car is a comfortable car. I'm like, this is, like, fascinating. You know what I mean? But here's... Here's what I love about God. He doesn't have to dress up in the, in, the, in the third age suit to understand. He doesn't. In fact, he sent his son, fully God, to be fully God and fully man, submitted himself to human capacity to know exactly what we're going through. He doesn't have to dress himself up and, like, try to understand, like, the realities of life. But, like, we serve a God who, like, when we pray to him, he understands on a personal level deep, the depth of what we're going through, which makes him a God who is so trustworthy to place our faith in, to allow our prayers to know that they're heard, to know that they don't go into some, like, ether. It's like, actually, you no, know, like, God hears our prayers, sees our life situation, and he cares. He doesn't have to pretend because he submitted to what it meant to be human, and he was murdered and died in an excruciating death. In fact, he's experienced and endured way more than any of us probably will ever have to. But he did that because he loves us. And he did it because he wants to prove to you and I this morning that he is trustworthy and true and he is greater and he is good. He knows how we feel every step of the way. But as human beings, what do we do? We complain rather than pray. And God wants to flip that around this morning. If you're a complainer, man, it's time to maybe flip that posture around and say, hey, maybe i got some complaints about life. Maybe i got some things that aren't, like, the greatest. Maybe it's time to, like, rather than just, like, express those things and sometimes change the atmosphere of a room or a relationship or communication with somebody that you're in a relationship with, but we transition it to become a positive difference maker in understanding that when we give our burdens to God, God hears those cries, hears those prayers because he wants and desires to know us. I love the Psalms in the Bible, right? It's just people crying out to God, like just unapologetically, like just having complaints, like just being raw and real before God. That's why I love the Psalms, because it's just so real. You see people engaging with God, not not saying that like all that's just like right or justified, but just allowing yourself to be raw and real before God who desires relationship with you. Think about people you're raw and real around in your life. Times that by a billion and understand that that's the reality of God who understands and has grace and cares about you on a personal level. Communicate with God. He is safe. Pray to God, understanding that he does not leave you behind, that he relates to you, that he understands you, that essentially he is your creator. So I got a question this morning. Get really practical this morning. How are you going to pray when life's taking you down? How is the reality of an eternal God who's so great but so personable gonna change your perspective on prayer? Maybe it's gonna increase some rhythms in your life. You're like, I haven't prayed in years. I don't even know how to pray. Come on, somebody. You don't have to be an expert to have relationship and conversation with the God of the universe. And here's what I know when you start having relationship and conversation with the God of the universe, you begin to see realities of heaven break into your life. Try it. If your faith is in a place where you're like, well, I kind of inherited and watch other people pray and like, that's cool, he prays. No, like, own it yourself and see God show off in a big way in your life. Come on, somebody. We're going to hear testimonies of people who made this decision this morning and saw results in their life. Because God is a God of miracles. Amen? And then lastly this morning, we need to not live a day without eternity in mind. Not live a day without eternity in mind. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says this. says he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Eternity begins to kind of shift our perspective, right? Here's what, here's what bugs me sometimes. As a pastor, as realizing like the reality of the God that I follow and I serve is when I see people that have such small vision for their life. Because here's what I know is like, we only get one of them. We only get one life. We get one shot in this life, right? And sometimes we live with such a small vision, such maybe an hour-to-hour vision or a day-to-day vision or even a week-to-week vision that doesn't hold a candle in terms of the duration of what we're thinking, what we have vision for in our life, to the eternal lens and perspective that God has as he sees the whole. And as he's mending and shaping us and leading us to places of restoration, leading us to places of reconciliation, leading us to places that reflect perfection. I love them in the Bible, you read the end of the Bible, like it's like, hey, here's the ending. New heavens, new earth. That God is going to completely transform the earth that we live on to a place and a reality of perfection. We can't even fathom what that even would look like. But we sometimes get so caught up with our small vision, and we live for our time here. We live for kind of the moment-to-moment. We live in a way where it's like, well, like, you know, let's indulge in some of my pleasures. Like, let's indulge in some of the things that make me feel good. I love when the Bible says sin is fun for a season, right? Let's be, let's be honest with the fact that, like, there's some things you can indulge in in this life that, like, bring you joy. But it's momentary joy because there's these things called consequences, which later down when you start planting those seeds, that you start harvesting stuff that you're like, this sucks, but God's like, yep, you planted the seeds though, remember that? Or sometimes we're like, screw that. I don't want to hear God's perspective, and now I'm mad at God, I'm going to blame him. When he's like, wait a second, like, you haven't even engaged in a relationship with me, and I've been the same yesterday, today, and forever the whole time. He wants us to engage in a relationship with him, but he wants us to have eternity in mind. Being a youth pastor, this is what I realized being a youth pastor for many years, is a lot of people, a lot of young people, they suffer from what I call reverse party syndrome. It's like, hey, like, the party's today. Like, come on, let's live it up. Let's party. Like, let's have a party. Like, go grab the keg, you know? Like, go get the weed, you know what I'm saying? Like, go get the hard drugs. Let's party! And it's like, that's such a small vision and perspective. You know what's, there's, there's this overarching kind of Like oppressiveness over our city that we live in, we're like drugs are Lord. Where drugs are the vision, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like desperately in my prayers, I'm going, we need to be a church, come on, that transforms and caps people's vision. Bursts through the ceiling of vision and understand there's a better way and there's a better life. Yeah, you can party moment to moment. You can feel the pleasure. Once again, that doesn't deal with the reality of death. And here's what I know. God is preparing a place for each and every one of us in his house. But are we going to invest in this life and get to actually experience what that room looks like? What does your room look like? What does your seat at God's table look like? What does the feast look like in eternity? Imagine the best party you've ever been to where you're like, this is awesome. And times that by a hundred billion times to understand there's a perspective that goes beyond our human comprehension that God promises and wants to give to you in the life to come. Come on. We get so bogged down and we have small vision. And if you have small vision, you have dimmed your life to the reality that there is a great God who is eternal, who is massive, who wants to inform your life, give you bigger vision, give you bigger dreams, give you a bigger hope, and ultimately for your life to get in sync with his purposes where he will inform every area of your vocation, your purpose, your life, and you will begin to realize as you connect to that life source, your life begins to be more fulfilled than you've ever seen possible. Because God begins to invest and deposit into your soul, into the depths of who we are and our human capacity. John 3.16, such an overused, overplayed verse, but I I know why. Because it unlocks such a reality of truth in our life as it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. It's so easy for that to be like the WWJD bracelet that we wear on our wrist and not realize the truth and the massive amount of perspective that that verse gives for our life if we actually try to just think and digest that God is so great there's a lady named Jean Calment she's actually she's got the record of living the longest she was born February 21st 1875 She died August 4th, 1997. That means she lived 122 years. That's the longest recorded lifespan that we have, right, in the modern day and age. So there's a story, right, where this 47-year-old lawyer paid Jean $500 a week for her apartment when she was 90 until she died because he wanted to acquire this piece of property. And the lawyer actually died at 77, (laughs) and Jean outlived the lawyer by a year, I want to talk about bad investments. So anyway, her apartment was worth $90,000, and the man paid $184,000 in total because of the agreement they got into. The lawyer's heirs were obligated to keep paying until Jean passed away. So people that were connected inherited this bad deal as well because, like, oh, you know, she'll die. She credit. I love this, she credited her long life for, get this, drinking port wine. A diet rich in olive oil and her sense of humor. She was quoted in saying, I will die laughing. I love that. Um, and she did, apparently, you know? Um, but here's what I love we think we're like, wow, 122 years? That's baffling. Like, man, I'll, that's the longest recorded human lifespan. But think about eternity for a second. It doesn't even hold a candle to something that impresses us so deeply on a human scale. God is so much greater than time. God is so much greater in our perspective of understanding that we can create all of these obstacles. We can create reasons to kind of characterize God in a specific way. But God realizes that when time is a factor, that we become very fickle people and need to honestly and continually be reminded of His grace, His goodness. And he's constantly trying to get our attention. He's constantly trying to get a hold of our lives and our heart. So the last question this morning is, how are you going to prepare for the future? How are you going to prepare for the future? Not the future meaning like, yeah, hey, we're going to live it up, like go on like five awesome vacations in our life. Like, yeah, see the world. No, no, no. Like, that's great and all. Those are actually witnesses to God, his creation, the joy that he gives. But that's a f- small fraction of what he wants us to promise Your eternal future. Come on, somebody. The future he wants to give to you before or after we experience this reality of being a person that dies. But he gives us the eternal life. He gives us the new perspective. Here's what I know. A legacy of laughter, eating the right things is great. But what if we became a people that truly lived with eternity in mind lived in a way where it's like we understand our days are numbered we understand there's a god who wants to inform areas of our life and community and communication and in relationship we understand that there's a future that goes beyond anything we can create in our human comprehension that goes so much farther that goes so much deeper what if we lived that way what if that became our legacy What if we pressed in to the eternal God who is constantly chasing after us? What would happen? What would our legacy be? What would that look like? What kind of impact would that make in this world? John 17.3 says this. Now this is eternal life. How do we unlock this? How do we understand this? How do we have a perspective of understanding that Death is a reality that we need to deal with. It says this, I love this verse so simple, that they know you, speaking of Jesus, the only one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How does Christianity differ from many different worldviews and religions? Jesus actually dealt with the issue of death. He dealt by giving it a free gift, not basing it off of some sort of spiritual high or spiritual journey, but offering you and as broken human beings who understand we're not perfect. We've all got vices. We've all got things in our lives that fall short of of God's gloriousness, right? But God made a way, imparted his free gift for us to just freely receive and let it transform our lives and allow him to be Lord, allow him to be the perspective that we need, the sobering perspective that puts life into a clearer perspective than we could ever see without it. God offers each and every one of us that today and this morning church once again my prayer is that we would be so open to the God of eternity El Olam eternal God who wants to continue to lead us continue to guide us continue to feed our souls give us a hope and a future and that is my prayer today that we would be open to receive and continuing to push and press into the God of the universe who wants so much relationship with us